The Money Cafe is brought to you by Eureka Report, your one-stop shop for all things finance. To sign up for your free 15-day trial, head to eurekareport.com.au. Now it's time to enjoy today's episode. Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report, finance presenter on ABC News and a columnist for the New Daily. And I'm Stephen Mayne, contributor at Eureka Report, founder of Crikey, shareholder, act- activist and City of Mill, Manningham councillor. Get it out, Stephen. And, and we, we are, are the, the Money, Money Cafe. Cafe. And Alan, I hear you've been a huge hit. You, you apparently, you're a big hit on InstaTok. Or, I'm sorry, I'm on, uh, is it, what is it? Insta- TikTok? TikTok. I don't know, us old folks. What, what is this? What's happened? You've suddenly become a TikTok I'm a sensation? Very modern, I'm a very modern person, Stephen. <laughs> and uh, I did a thing on the ABC News a while ago. How long ago? Last week? Yeah, a week ago. Uh, in, which I, in which I extracted some graphs from the Commonwealth Bank results presentation showing how much better the boomers, the baby boomers are doing than millennials, both with spending and savings and everything else. And I put it up on the news and um, at the end of that little thing, I said, sorry about that, kids. Um, I was actually talking about my own children. (laughs) So it was a boomer apology to the young folk over inequality. And Greg says it's got got 10 million views, apparently. 10 million views on TikTok. So there you go. The official apology from the boomer generation to the young folk. Isn't it still going, isn't it, Greg? Yeah, it's still going. We only get 15,000 downloads on the Money Cafe a week and you've suddenly gone 10 million on TikTok. I know. Incredible. Yeah. Now, did you watch the big game last night? Uh, well, to be honest, I uh, switched over to something else about <laughs> half time because I could see that England was by far the better side. I mean, and then Australia was going to lose. Well, they won the first half. Australia had the better of the second half. Yeah. Uh, couple of defensive errors and Sam Kerr didn't really convert, but uh, probably fair result in the end? Yeah, well, yeah, as I say, I think that the England was the better side. Yeah, and I, I, I'm sort of happy for them. Like, they lost cruelly in the last two semifinals, so they're due. You know, they haven't won a World Cup since 1966. We're sort of Johnny come lately in soccer, so hopefully we finish third. We beat the Swedes on Saturday and the whole nation can get back to work now. That's right. We can all get back to work. Not have a holiday. Exactly. Not have a holiday. Um, yeah, so uh, what do you want to talk about? Well, the results season, I think. Um, I was very amused with my favourite company, Endeavour Group, yesterday. So they put out their uh, full-year results, you know, saying they'd had sales of $12 billion and EBIT of a $1 billion. And anyway, the stock crashed $0.25 cents to $5.25 over Pokey's fear. Because everyone's fearing, you know, because what, what happens is they don't even tell people how much money they make from pokies. And the analysts are all saying, oh, it's about 35% of profit. But they don't disclose it. So everyone, the stock keeps on tanking because everyone is now starting to work out that they are actually the world's biggest pub pokies operator with 12,500 machines. They don't disclose that they rip 1.6 billion thereabouts off gamblers. They keep on saying, oh, we're just a liquor company and all their guff they put out yesterday, you know, talking about their hotels, uh, quote, our hotels offer welcoming and affordable social moments from a drink to a meal with friends to live music and quality accommodation. I mean, they don't even mention that they're this enormous pokies operator and they don't disclose the gross gaming revenue, whereas 
you know, Crown Melbourne gross gaming revenue in the final year was uh, 1.675 billion, fully disclosed. Star Entertainment, 820 million. Yet Endeavour Group will not answer the question, how much did you take off the gamblers in the last year? And they're tanking as a result because uh, everyone's unsure what's going to happen. Didn't, um, speaking of uh, results, didn't um, uh, Chadston, didn't uh, Vicinity put up the value of Chadston yesterday? Well, we had, we had, I thought very interestingly, we had both Dexas and Vicinity yesterday and both trading at steep discounts to claimed net tangible assets or NTA going into the results and Vicinity only managed to take a modest write-down of 1.6% across their entire portfolio, only $229 million. So that means that their market cap today is $8.42 billion, yet they claim to have net assets of $10.7 billion. So there's this you know, massive differential there and um, a 19.4% differential. And they've actually written up the value of Chadston, Australia's biggest shopping centre, to $6.65 billion. Now, look, it's a big shopping centre. It's got, you know, $2.7 billion of, of sales and 11,000 car parks. You know, it's a big operation, but it's not worth $6.65 billion. They should have written it down and they wrote it up. I, I can't work that out. Well, Dexas wrote down their offices, didn't they? By, uh, they, they incurred a loss of $750 million. They incurred a loss, but it should have been a loss of $2 billion, Alan. I mean, let's, let's go through the numbers that uh, their market cap is now $8.4 billion. And even after yesterday's modest write-downs, they're still claiming to have net assets of $11.7 billion. So there's still, after yesterday's loss, a $3.3 billion gap between what the audited, signed accounts by the directors claim the business is worth from an asset-backing point of view to the market's assessment. You know, like, and they carry a lot of development risks. They're spending $1.4 billion building a new head office for Atlassian in Sydney. Construction blowouts, you know, that, that's development risk in there. And, um, and not being, you know, accurate with their property valuations. But offices in general are not worth what they were. Correct. They're coming down in value. Correct. Yeah. I mean, you know, vicinity, the owner of Chatty, they came out yesterday and said, we still believe that Meyer Burke Street and the Meyer Empor- or the Emporium Melbourne is worth $1.44 billion. And we, we stand by that valuation. Now, I say, go ahead and make my day. Sell it to someone for $1.44 billion and give us the cash because you, you're trading at a 20% discount to what you claim it's worth. Prove we're wrong by liquidating and give us, giving us the cash back or write them down to the reality, but the problem you get with that is you get breach of banking covenants and discounted capital raisings. So the solution, in my view, is for them to stop doing distributions and start buying back their own shares if they really believe, or paying down debt, if they really believe that the market's got it so wrong. But don't do a massive distribution when your gearing's already too high. Good point. No, I think that's a very good point. They should they should buy back their own shares if they think they're uh, as such a discount, I agree. I agree. So, uh, uh, just on the matter of climate change, the Inflation Reduction Act anniversary was yesterday. It was exactly 12 months since Joe Biden signed that law, which provided for an estimate of $369 billion in spending on subsidies for renewable energy, electrification, and other climate change actions, which is the biggest single. Uh, climate change bill 
that's ever that's been passed by anybody, and it's the most important climate change action since the Paris Agreement of 2015. But uh, the the point about that bill was that the 369 billion dollars was not some sort of cap on what they are going to spend. It was just an estimate of what it would cost, and the latest estimate is 1.2 trillion <laughs> from Brookings Institution, who have updated the estimate. Because the bill has the the act has been so successful. Yeah, it's been deluged with applications. That's right. Yeah, uh, all these companies are trying to get their tax deductions. Yeah, and uh, it's going to cost them one point two trillion dollars. Yeah, and they don't seem to mind. No, I mean no one's coming out and saying, "Oh, what an absolute catastrophe." Uh, well, it's just printed money. I mean, you know, the Americans can print as much as they like. So uh, it's, it's a strange name for an act, though. The most misnamed act of all time. It should have been said, "World's greatest climate reduction effort." That's right. Act. Instead, it's called the Inflation Reduction Act. It's just pure marketing. <laughs> it is total marketing. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, we can't, you know, we, he didn't want to, he, he wanted to pull the wool over the Republicans' eyes. <laughs> he conned them all. <laughs> so he's conned them all. But uh, uh, no, look, it's, 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 it'll be his greatest legacy, I think, apart from knocking off Trump, actually getting that legislation through. So and, I did a uh, column in the New Daily this morning in which I was said I was going to celebrate the anniversary by castigating the Albanese government for not spending enough and bringing a pea shooter to a gunfight. Um, and then I decided not to because uh, uh, we've got to, we ought to be actually saving our money to deal with the impact of climate change, which is going to be horrendous. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, we, can, we should still hope for 1.5 degrees of warming, but actually it's going to be two, let's face it. Yeah. And we've got to be prepared for that, yep. which uh, is going to cost a lot of money. You know, so there's nothing. Nothing Australia does actually will change the fate of the planet. No, but we've really. all got to do a truckload. We've got to That's do our the bit. Line. No, we've no, no. no, no. We've got to do our bit. But I'm, what I'm saying is, we don't have to do more than our bit. We've got to save the money for dealing with the consequences of what China and America actually end up doing. Yeah. In that's what I'm suggesting. Now, before we do questions, Alan, I thought we should cover a couple of things as to what's happening in the world right now. So, 92-year-old Rupert Murdoch is sailing on Aristotle Anassis' old gin palace in Europe with his new girlfriend, the 66-year-old Russian Elena Zukova. So, that's why he missed the earnings conference call last week. He's uh, romancing his new sweetheart, a Russian, Russian bride who was introduced by his former Chinese wife. So, I don't know whether... Rupert's a Russian asset now, or was once a China asset, or but uh, he's not running the business. He's he's just busy chasing uh, chasing tail, chasing tail. Say. Yes, and I think she's a, she's a bit old for him. At sixty six, yeah, yeah, it's not I mean, not quite a big enough age difference. He normally has a much bigger age difference. So I think that uh, I don't know how old was Jerry Hall. She was uh, oh, a little bit younger about, than yeah, younger than that, yeah. So I think he's he's going too old this time at sixty six, Rupert. So uh, he should be aiming for someone in her thirties, I think. And um, also what's happening in the world right now is as we sit, sip our coffees in Leclerc, right now the Zero AGM is taking place in Auckland. Thankfully, it's a hybrid AGM. So I've already lodged my six questions at David Thody, the, the chairman. And Zero is a great Kiwi success story. It's worth $17 billion, the accounting software. And... Um, one of the questions I've actually lodged, which I'm looking forward to them reading out, is, you know, with a market cap of $7.5 billion, surely we're now too big to remain headquartered and primarily listed in New Zealand, particularly given that our chair lives in Australia. Um, shareholders in software company Task Group recently endorsed a board recommendation to move its head office and primary listing from New Zealand to Australia. Why don't we do the same? 
So smart alley question from Leclerc. All those Kiwis in Auckland right now are discussing, you know, whether we should be in Australia or in Auckland. It's just the beauty of the online AGM. I've got another one at 12.30 in Fratil. All the Kiwis do hybrids. Many of the Australians. How many questions have you got? I only lodged lodge six. Six is my new sort of quota. It's a good number. It's not too many, but it's enough. <laughs> so, um, uh, but they did, the, they did the proxies early. So I was able to say, why was there a 15% protest vote against Director Mark Cross? So that's good practice. Um, they got a new director. So, you know, how did they find her? Did you know the other directors beforehand? Are you really independent? Et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, it's good. Hybrid AGMs, online AGMs. You can sit here, have your coffee and still lob a few questions all over the world. That's beautiful. Questions. First question is from Mike. Last week it was suggested that the big four banks may have a more difficult time in the next 18 months. Well, we actually have five big banks if Macquarie is included. My short question is, do you think this bank will be hammered as well or does the millionaire's factory have more talented people to cover this expected revenue drop in normal banking activity through returns on other canny investments for which they are well known? Have to keep the performance pigeons on their high perches well fed. Go. Well, I mean, as we speak today, their market cap is $67 billion, ANZ 74, Westpac 76, NAB 89, and CBA $167 billion. So it is correct there is a big five, although the other four are just a locally focused oligopoly, and Macquarie gets the majority of their earnings from offshore, you know, world's biggest infrastructure manager, owner, massive commodities trading business, just a, a, a nicely diverse, beautiful operations. They're like Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, you know, they're, they're, they're a genuine equivalent of a Wall Street bulge bracket firm, you know, like a UBS. So I think they're a totally different beast and I think they will continue to survive and prosper just as the likes of Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley Certainly and they those are other ones completely uh, above what's going on in Australian yeah. interest rates, really, yeah. unaffected. Yeah, I think along with CSL, they are our greatest achievement, Macquarie, I reckon. So um, I don't think they're going to come off the perch anytime soon. Now, Bill says, I've been following Alan for longer than I would like to remember. A simple question, why is the unemployment rate at its lowest in nearly 50 years when the economy only seems to be trundling along at best? Well, in fact, uh, 12 rate hikes um, and the the unemployment rate's still at 3.5%. Um, and I think there's a few reasons. One is that, um, uh, well, uh, there's still a lot of demand in the economy. Uh, interest rates rises have not really reduced that because essentially I think what we've learnt in the past few years is the power of fiscal policy over monetary policy. Fiscal policy is so much more powerful than monetary policy. And, and there is you know, enormous government spending. There's been enormous, enormous government spending. Enormous stimu- stimulus, yes. That's right. So that's really maintained. I mean, that, that doesn't kind of deal with uh, Bill's point that the economy seems to be trundling along. Um so there, there is a bit of a disconnect between unemployment and the economy uh, in the sense that we're not seeing an ec- economic boom as you would expect to see, be seeing with 3.5% unemployment. And I think uh, a lot of the reason for that is that um, so much more of the economy uh, is in services now, which requires more people. Yeah, correct. I think, you know, uh, uh, and also uh, services at this point at least uh, are not really susceptible to automation yeah. To, to the same extent as manufacturing yeah. and other things. And, like, things. you think about the growth, you know, like uh, lawn mowers, aged care, you know, the care economy, NDIS carers, 
you know, health. These are all, ma- you're right, massive employers. Hmm. Uh, and AI can't get rid of them. And uh, a lot of people don't want to do the work. So farmers are still struggling. We still have to import 100,000 backpackers a year to get the crops, uh, the, the, crops uh, the fruits picked. So, um, yeah, I think we're structurally booming. And uh, isn't it great that we're not double-digit unemployment like in Keating's recession in 92? Um, Nathan says, all the discussion about productivity, how do they measure it and how do we improve it? Is it all about us all working more hours? Uh, certainly not, Nathan. Um, uh, productivity is measured mainly, uh, labour productivity is measured basically through GDP per hour work, hours worked. They just divide the gross domestic product of the country by the total number of hours being worked by all the people and then they map that over time. There's another, there's another measure called multi-factor productivity which is the GDP divided by a bunch of different things. It's much more difficult or complicated to calculate. Um, but that is, um, as it sounds like, uh, taking into account um, in particular business investment and other things than labour. Um, and uh, uh, how do we improve it? Well, I've actually, after this, after we record this, I'm going off to record an ABC thing for Sunday night on this very subject. Uh, and a half, half tongue-in-cheek, I'm saying... Uh, that a couple of the reasons for the lower productivity that we've experienced in the last few years is emails and meetings. I mean, meetings meetings have exploded in number, and I've just I found some research that uh, um, explains that 45% of meetings are completely useless. Well, we are having at council. I've noticed over the years we're doing more and more community consultation. I mean, we don't do anything without doing some big, long community consultation process. I remember Colin Powell's autobiography had a, a, a theory that that you should study enough, have enough knowledge that you know between 40 and 70% of everything there is to know about something before you make a decision. But you don't need to know 100% because you'll never make a decision. So I agree. I think we're bumping up at that, you know, above 70%, sometimes 90%, because we're constantly talking and not doing. Yeah. So so meetings are by, by uh, you know, by definition almost unproductive. Yeah. Because you're sitting around talking. Yeah. You're not doing anything. Occasionally, you know, you might have a meeting where you do something or decide something that's important. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as for emails, well, uh, uh, there's 350 billion emails yeah. flying around the world every day, right? Um which is which works out to be seventy per day per person yeah. on the planet, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know about you. I'm getting hundreds of emails yeah. a day, yeah. and, and I'm taking hours. No, yeah. well, I am taking hours dealing them with them. Yeah, no, because you can't actually just delete all because so, it's sprinkled among the crap <laughs> uh, occasional emails that you have to keep, yeah. right? You know, another example want. of uh, poor productivity. I mean, question time. It's what 151 politicians all sitting around listening to. T- to one person answer a question, and then the whole of the press gallery watching it. Yeah, well, there's I no. I mean, how G- is that a good use of there's the? There's no GDP coming out of that. And why can't they just vote electronically from their from their plows, from their doctors, stu- you know, medical clinics? Get real people in parliament, let them vote electronically, well, because, and and be more productive while they're MPs. Well, because it's theatre. It's but a piece it's, of theatre. Yeah, but you I mean, know. the biggest productivity driver that's going to come down the track is driverless cars I reckon that's that's the big one that's going to really crank up the productivity that's the that's the next big one no it's not everyone's going to fall asleep 
or read novels. You know, no one's going to sit there in the car working. Is that what no, you no, think no, is no, going to happen? No, I'm saying driverless cars. Is that the, 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 in terms of productivity for take, taking out cost, 7% of workers are driving. You know, there's a lot of massive cost in paying drivers. So I'm saying that like you don't pay someone to fill up your petrol tank anymore... Oh, and I you see. You don't go to the bank to the teller. Oh, you mean replacing replace, replacing yeah. workers? So right. I think from a no, but, strict well, okay, productivity but measure that will lift productivity. There's going to be a big worker replacement from robots generally, yeah, not just AI. driverless cars. Journalists will get wiped AI. out by AI and yeah, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's right. But then presumably, if you just if 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 all the of half the say half the human beings get replaced by robots of various sorts. And you still then divide GDP by the number of humans, right? Then productivity will soar, presumably. But so far, productivity is declining, even though there's already been a fair bit of automation. So, I think so far we're not seeing we're not seeing that um, that happen. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, fair point. Now let's skip along to question ten. Matt says, two-part question from a young aspiring rich lister. At least Matt's being honest. How valuable is networking with politicians in a finance-related career? And would these connections have to be either of the big two parties, or is there merit in joining a minor party? So he's basically just saying, well, I'd say it depends on the industry. If you're in a government-licensed industry like, you know, uh, gaming or telecommunications or banking or healthcare, pharmacies, you know, you want to be connected with the polys because they can open doors and they can affect regulations. But uh, I don't know. I mean, farmers should join the National Party. Unionists should join the Labor Party. I don't particularly think that an aspiring finance sector rich lister needs to waste too much time... uh, Meeting and greeting politicians, do you? I, I don't think they should waste any time. I mean, ju- journalists should. I, you know? I would stay away from politicians entirely. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you I mean, should, you, the, the, your industry association will get the job done for you. Yeah. You don't need to personally lobby politicians to become rich. No, no, they'll just, they'll just, they'll just suck oxygen out of the atmosphere. <laughs> you know, and, and completely waste your time. Absolutely, don't do it. Now, Bill is wondering about... It's my turn. Your turn. Okay, jump in. I wonder what's your thoughts on day trading. You get in and get out in the end of the day. It it is spruiked as get rich quick, and surely only for the risk takers. But with all the apps available, surely some people are doing okay. Well, stroke, well. My big question is, how do I make money? Uh, The answer is, Bill, in my opinion, by not day trading. Don't give up your day job. You know, Kerry Packer lost over a billion dollars day trading on FX. On foreign exchange. Did he? There yeah. you go. So don't be a day trader. Day trading is simply gambling. You might as well it's go down gambling. to use the co- co- the pokies. Yeah, the casino. So and don't get into CFDs contracts for difference. They are they've they've fleeced hundreds of millions of dollars out of Australian day traders. Um, so day trading is for professionals in suits working at global investment banks. And I suggest Bill. Stick with your day job and just be a, a, a buy and hold investor uh, counting your franking credits. Okay, which, now, Peter, which question are you going to jump to now? Now, P- <laughs> Peter says it would be great to hear more about how Mesoblast plans to take the next step, survive on their $70 million of remaining cash or raise more money and get approval following the latest FDA setback. So, look, we won't spend too much time on Mesoblast, but they're the only listed company that's managed to spend a billion dollars not getting a product to market because they're in the stem cell 
game. Uh, didn't, didn't the, I haven't actually looked at it in detail. Have you looked at their thing? Because didn't the latest setback mean that the thing doesn't work? No, no. They've got to go and do another test with, with another trial with adults. It has, it has, it's not a this is a dog, go away. Uh, it's more trials, please. From the FDA, maybe it's a maybe it's a, this may be a dog go away. Well, yeah, but the I mean the, the stock certainly tanked. The market cap's down to three twenty one million. Um, they've you know they've been uh, an absolute shocker. Uh, they've done and I hate them because they've done three placements without an SPP. They're the only company I can find in the ASX three hundred. Well, now they're not because they're so small. That have three times done a big end of town placement and refused to offer their retail shareholders a chance to participate on the same terms. And looking at the stock price now, with 800 million of uh, accumulated losses, thank God us retail shareholders didn't didn't throw good money after bad at that at that outfit. Yes. Um, okay. I don't know what. Which we, we can't. Maybe we should do Airtasker. So uh, oh, Michael yeah. says, I'm interested in Alman and Steve's view on Airtasker. It seems to have fallen quite a bit from its IPO price, 85%. They've got a new chairperson who's just joined. Could this be a turnaround story or is it too late? Now, you do use Airtasker, Alan? All the time. It's oh. great. But, but I mean, Airtasker IPO'd in the midst of the, the, the frenzy of, you know, of um, uh, technology and optimism. Um, when, when you know when that was happening, there was uh, um, well, Afterpay was running hot. Uh, be you know, buy now pay later was going. Airtasker was going. All these things, everything was sort of optimistic, and everything got overpriced, right? Yeah. So I mean, they only raised eighty seven million and sixty five cents. It wasn't a real dog where they you know took hundreds of millions off. Yeah, that's, but it has come down. But the thing yeah. is, look, I think it's a solid business. It just isn't worth anything like what they. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean, there's been yeah. so many. I mean, the recent Abacus storage float has been a dog. You know, they raised money at dollar forty-one. It's now dollar nineteen. Points bet latitude raised two hundred million at two dollars sixty. It's now dollar nineteen. There's been many a dog of a float of late, and Airtask is just one of them. But Alan, you're a fan, and you are you interviewing one of their top brass? Oh, we're interviewing him next week. In fact, we've well, we've put in a bid for them. We ah. hope. Fingers We're hoping, crossed. Uh, Greg says hoping. And if you uh, land that fish, we probably should point out that that's only for Eureka Report subscribers because everyone listening today is, well, let's not call them freeloaders, but to get the 98% of other stuff that Eureka Report produces, you've got to take up a modestly priced subscription. Or just take out a free trial. Take out a free trial. Free trial and, and you can listen to the Airtasker the Airtasker interview, which you're I'm talking gonna, finance we'll podcast, which you do every week, and your your, your four thousand words Saturday morning wrap that you do. It's a, it's an amazing product you've got there, Alan. If I I haven't got a conflict, of course, but uh. <laughs> now finally, one I more was question. Say one one more question. Um, well, actually, I was going to finish off with a little comic. It is the um, it is the ALP's national conference starting today. It goes for three days. And I've actually lodged a notice, a motion to be put at the, on the floor that they divest from their $120 million worth of poker machine assets. Have you got a seconder? And the fi- well, I'm looking for a seconder, but we've put it around to a few people. So it just says, you know, the Australian Labor Party authorises the divestment of the gambling assets, the Canberra Labor Club, Ramick Labor Club, et cetera, et cetera. And the final thing is a proposed new clause in the Labor Party's federal constitution, quote, Commencing January 1, 2027, no division of the ALP is permitted to operate brothels, tobacco manufacturing facilities, cannabis plantations, battery hen farms, armaments manufacturing plants, or gambling venues. 
So if they pop that in their constitution, they will have to get rid of their five pokies venues in Canberra and Sydney that they operate. And they can't get rid of them unless they do pass that conference, that, that motion at National Conference. So let's hoping on Saturday when they deal with constitutional reform that some brave soul puts it from the floor and 400 delegates find their conscience finally and decide they're going to get the party out of poker machines because there's no other political party in the world well, that runs gambling dens to fund their operations. Unlikely is all I'm going to say, <laughs> Stephen. You are, as always, Don Quixote. <laughs> charging, at, charging at the windmills. <laughs> no chance of success. Uh, I'm actually thinking I'm going to have a run at the NAB board later this year, I've decided, because they refuse, they've knocked back my request that they move their AGM to coincide with the Australian Open so that shareholders can fly in from all over the country, tax deduct their trip, go to the Open and pop into the NAB AGM. Well, They're refusing so, to do it. So to... to Get them back. You're going to run well, for I'm the board. I'm going to run for the board every and year until show I do them. I'll run for the board every year until I do it. When you say that, I will do this every year until you relent. They always give up straight away. They always give up. So I'm going to try that one. And NAB's AGM, I reckon, will be the last they'll week of a, January starting in 2025 they'll have to a, avoid a, a board tilt. When they, when they realise what you're doing, Stephen, they'll have a meeting about it. <laughs> waste. Yes, it is a big product. I do actually waste a lot of time, I think, about it. People having meetings to prepare for what questions are coming. What a waste of time that is. Just to cancel the AGM and be more productive, I say. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode of The Money Cafe. I'll be back next week with James Thompson. Send in your questions to themoneycafe at eurekareport.com.au. Take out a free trial to Eureka Report in the meantime so you can listen to my interviews and also read my Saturday briefing that goes out at 7am on Saturday. Until then, I'm Alan Cole, founder of Eureka Report, finance presenter on ABC News and columnist for The New Daily. Hello, I'm Stephen Mayne, one of Alan's many contributors at Eureka Report, founder of Crikey, shareholder, activist and City of Manningham councillor. 